Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to a best of edition of Almost Famous, where I've selected some of my favorite clips from the 19 episodes of the podcast we've done so far. This is the last episode of Series 2 of the podcast, but don't worry, Series 3 is starting in just a couple of weeks' time, so please, if you haven't already, do subscribe to Almost Famous in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favourite podcast fix. Leave us a comment if you can, and rate us too, that would be a really big help. Also, with the third series coming up, and me recording them remotely during these strange COVID times, I'll be looking to engage with you guys a lot more directly. So if you have any questions, please do send them into our email address, which is almostpodcastfamous at gmail.com. That's almostpodcastfamous at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to find us on Instagram at almostfamousthepodcast and Twitter at podalmostfamous. First up on this best of episode are highlights from series one, where I interviewed guests who are either the children or siblings of famous people and who have chosen to follow them into a similar industry. Our first clip is from the first ever guest to come onto Almost Famous, Nicola Wren. Nicola is an actress and the sister of Coldplay's Chris Martin. In this excerpt from the show, she explains why she decided to change her surname from Martin to Wren, then gives her thoughts on the tabloid newspaper headlines and delicious freebies that followed, before offering us dessert in the form of explaining how Pizza Express was somewhat responsible for her losing her virginity. Chris Martin's secret sister changes her name to a pizza to avoid the limelight, which came after I did. <laughs> I went on Good Morning Britain, which I wish I'd never done. It wasn't with Morgan, though, was it? It wasn't with Morgan. I almost wish it had been, because mm. then then another person would have looked like an asshole, except just me. Um, but no, I thought it would be good if I told this story about how... Um, when I was searching for my stage name, which I had to come up with because there was another Nicola Martin mm-hmm. um, on the cast, the online casting directory. And also I wanted to kind of have a kind of mental separation from my brother just because I was freaked out that people would think that if I got any success, it would be because of him. Anyway, I went, I was searching for a stage name and I was in Pizza Express and I saw the Lorraine pizza <laughs> on the menu and I was like, Ren is a cool name. And then I realised that my grandmother was a Wren in the Second World War and chose the name. Anyway, I thought it'd be funny yeah. to just tell the Pizza Express story, which is in my show, on Good Morning Britain. And then I didn't realise that tabloid papers would only really pick that bit out um, to write about. So it haunts me to this day, but I did get a free pizza. Well, I was going to say, so I saw on your Twitter that uh, Pizza Express sent you a tweet. They, or did they retweet something <laughs> you'd written? Or they sent, but I just thought you got 
Ren from La Ren, but actually it does work as Nico La Ren, which is what they then tweeted, which I thought was pretty clever. Well, that's... Well, because I say it... No, I said it in the interview, because in the show I go... It's, it's a whole bit where I'm like, La Ren, La Ren, Nico... Got it. La Ren. And so they sold it from me. Let's not give Pete the Professor credit Sorry, for I my material. I apologise. We can give we can them credit for their wonderful doughballs, but we can't give them credit for that. Um, no, they tweeted me... And I was very excited about it. And then I asked on Twitter if I could have some free dough balls and then sent them a YouTube video that I'd made of a character that I do sometimes called Georgia Kapupu. Yeah, I've seen that. It's very funny. Thank you. Who's a piss take of Georgia Kasulu, who was on... What, what, what even was she on? I don't Maybe, even know The only way is Essex. Oh, She's some one of those. Is. Anyway, it, where I talk about making little balls of dough out of bread... Um, anyway, I, I sent it to them because I'd called the video Powered by Dough and I was like, you know, this is very on brand for me. Mm-hmm. I also lost my virginity after Pizza Express. Um, <laughs> wait, and wait, what else? Wait, Every time my sister... Wait, sis- wait, wait, wait. You, can't, you can't glaze over that. Um, because I was going to say, actually, this is all getting a little bit off topic, but Pizza Express oh, actually... No, 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 not in a bad way. Pizza Express has a huge part in my childhood, actually, and life. It's my, my when I would see my dad every fortnight. Uh, okay. He would take us to Pizza Express on Upper Richmond Road on Friday, and there's a jukebox. So me and my That's brother would just be on the jukebox. Yeah, it's really lovely, and uh, I, I've always ordered the same pizza at Pizza Express. A very big part of my life. What so, is it? Uh, an American with extra ham and soft egg. Okay, Gar- I would never have guessed that garlic. because it's not on the menu. Well, the American is on the menu, but the new. Well, I know the American's my favorite. I mean, if I'm if I'm feeling soft you, egg, if I'm feeling really out there, then I'll I'll go American hot with extra soft egg. But you've soft got to have egg. you've got to have soft egg on the. What are you talking pizza. about, soft egg? Well, if you say egg, then it might not be soft, so they just fry an egg on your pizza. Oh, I've never had an egg on a pizza, but I like eggs on toast. So imagine it's not that different. It's really great. You okay. should try it. But um, so your kind of your links to Pizza Express are strong and. Sorry, impressive. I know I've gone on too much about Pizza Express. It's no, there should be a whole me. podcast we do separately about Pizza Express, as far as I'm concerned. I want fact, them to sponsor the press night for my show. Okay. Um, well, did you hold on? Did you ever get the free dough? Yes, we important? were getting there. Sorry. I was just going around about the houses on it. Sorry, that's right. You can cut all of this. Won't. Um, shan't. Please, I know it could get me another pizza. Anyway, they they wrote to me and they were like, "Oh, we'd love to invite you to our Oxford Circus branch for for a free meal, um, with a, with a guest." And then I wrote back and I was like, "Brilliant!" She was like, "Give me your email, we'll set it up." I didn't receive an email, so about a week later, hello, Louisa. Sorry, <laughs> you did say that you could come to Pizza Express for free, and uh, haven't received your email. Please, could you let me know when we can come? As really chase that up, and then. She sorted it out, and then we got there, and they totally forgot our reservation. Well, part, part of me call me cynical, but part of me wonders who they hoped the guest you bring would be. I, well, I know. I well, I don't know. The devastating reality of being related to a star. In our next clip from my interview with Nicola, she tells me what it was like being a kid who knew she wanted to be an actor when her brother brought home an Oscar-winning actress as his girlfriend. What I loved about this clip was not only the insight into what Gwyneth Paltrow was like as a person and a sister, but also Nicola's honesty about how, as a youngster, she had utter and total belief that she had the talent required to become a hugely successful actor and wouldn't need anybody else's help to achieve it. I'm quite interested in the fact that, obviously, at that little period of your life, because of who Chris married uh, and you wanting to be an actress, a famous actress came into your life. Mm -hmm. Um, How did that affect your expectations of of being an actress yourself? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I've given you the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory story. Mm-hmm. Um, so already my expectations were pretty high. And then 
like I say, I had no concept of what Gwyneth's fame meant. I'd never heard of her. Yeah. I didn't know. I, I give a shit. Mm. I just liked that she stroked my hair oh. and was really affectionate with me and really fun. And She like, comes across as a lovely person as well, you know. Yeah, she was great. I listened and, to her on Dak Shepard's podcast and, and she came across as really open and honest. And she gets so much shit. And yeah. a lot of it, she, make, she makes herself an easy target in a lot of ways too because she's, you know, puts herself out there and, and sometimes suggests quite ludicrous things. <laughs> but she's, again, like, you know, she's not doing anything bad. She's not trying to hurt anybody. Um... But anyway, so when, I, when when she came into my life, it was amazing. And, like, you know, she... But I don't... I, I didn't have her in my head as... I, I didn't think about her as a famous actress. I just thought about her as my brother's girlfriend that I thought was so cool. Yeah. And that used to call me every night when I was at boarding school and I was homesick. And we used to speak on the phone and, like, yeah. That, is the, lovely, that is the loveliest Thank thing. You. Give Gwyneth some good press. Um, That's and, so, that is yeah. so lovely. So... I, I, like I say, I already had the kind of arrogant assumption that my career would be fine. But I, even then, when I was, when Chris started becoming famous, I, I always knew that I would do it on my own because I didn't think I would need any help. Mm. And so I was like, well, I don't need nepotism because I'm. Yeah. Did you see me play Mole? Yeah. I was so believable. Um, <laughs> Like but that, that must, that's about... I know, and I, this is embarrassing for me to admit. And this is when I, with my show, it's like I'm I'm admitting how stupid I was, you know, and and how how cocky and um, not cocky, but just sort of naive and and silly. So it's like yes, I'm putting the thing about Chris out there, but it's like I'm making myself quite vulnerable as well to the world with with the show in the hopes that people come and see it and relate to it. The next clip is from our most listened to guest, Rodri Giggs. Rodri is the brother of Manchester United legend Ryan Giggs and spoke incredibly openly about subjects including adultery and criminality and discussed how these things affected both his family and his life. In this segment, he explained how he was set up by the tabloid press using their infamous fake shape character as they attempted to portray Rodri as a drug dealer and a pimp in the national press and how the sting saw him lose his job in London, forcing him to move back up to Manchester and eventually end up in jail. Like when I moved to, to London, I've, I'm... I'm, I'm got a great job, and then some fake shake decided to stitch me up for the news of the world, and, I, and I'm drug dealing my pimp, and then I can sack them back in Manchester. What happened there? I don't know about that story. <clears throat> you must have heard of the fake shake. Yeah, yeah, Alicia. He, well, he used to saw, he, well, yeah, he stitched well, up Sven Goran well, Eriksson. Yeah, well, he, 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 I'm an estate agent. He, I've met him in a penthouse, servants all around him, and I've taken him out to see flats. He says he wants to load the flats. He's going to pay up front. He's a big commission for himself. But then we get into speaking, saying he's over here. We don't want to be in the West End because we don't want to be seen. Can we can we go out in places in the East End? So I had places that I could take him. Mm-hmm. And it just uh, it, it it snowballed where he kept on asking me for drugs, kept him asking me for drugs. I said, listen, I'm not from London. I don't know anyone. I'm not a drug dealer. I don't know anyone in London who's got any drugs. Yeah. Anyway, a month later, he says, oh, he says, I'm going back to Manchester this week. And he says, oh, we're in Manchester. We met him in Manchester. He said, can you get any drugs? I, said, I know loads of people. Yeah. What do you want? Yeah. Met him, met the person, give it him, and then he all had it all on camera. And... Right. So you were secretly filmed, yeah. and they'd spent months basically <clears throat> honey honeypotting you to stitch yeah. you up. Yeah. And then when you finally just put them in touch with some other people, they ran a story. Yeah. I get sacked, moved back to Manchester, but obviously it gets thrown out because the guy lied and just... So what, did it go to court? Is that what Yeah, it went to court the first day and the judge threw it out. So you were on trial for dealing drugs or? Supposedly, yeah. even though that I didn't touch no, it. No, 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 yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
wow, I didn't know anything about that. That's really, really, I mean, this fascinating was, to hear, but also... In, this that was in 99, 2000. It's still in the process with my lawyers about... Yeah, that must be so devastating on a personal level, though, to it, lose what, your job it, and, and it, know It was that, because... How can you trust of, anyone? Out of all the jobs, and I've been a footballer, I've been a, I've been a football coach, I've, I've done a lots of jobs. That was the most enjoyable job I've ever had. I used to love it. Yeah. Just... And then a year later, I get back to Manchester, a year later, I'm in prison. Okay, and what le what led you to that? Um, we're in Manchester, and me and my friend, and we go into a nightclub. Uh, we go in, I go into your own to have a wee, and then some guys next to me, gigs this, gigs that, blah 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 blah. Right. So I've walked out, gone over to the, the far side of the club. The guys come over, my my blah, blah blah. Same again. Just listen, just leave me alone. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Just carried on. So I said to me, right, we need to go. Mm. Left the club. Went down the stairs outside the club, and him and his mate come out again. Fight breaks out, them two get beat up, and I go to prison. Right. So to me, that sounds like basically you, you know, Manchester. The guy was a Manchester City fan. Right. So Manchester's such like a goldfish bowl that the reality is is that you're known, your face is known, and people yeah. just use you to yeah. try and to try and have a laugh with their mates and yeah. wind you up. Yeah. I bet. How many times has that kind of stuff happened <laughs> over your life? Not many times because I'm like I say, I used to be with some naughty people, but right, yeah, right, right. it can happen. That must be, I mean, you know, what horrible, <clears throat> horrible stuff to happen. It is what it is. Yeah, you've just given a shrug. This, this is the stuff you, you've got to deal with it. And that, that people don't know that you've got to deal with. Yeah. But yeah, you've got to deal with it. What are you going to do? In this next clip, Roger explains what happened on the day the tabloids released the story that said that his brother, Ryan, had been having an affair with his wife for nearly a decade. He speaks candidly about how he found out and what he sees as false attempts at reconciliation between himself and his wife after the story broke. Took the kids to Spain that yeah. the day before, yeah, and turned the phone off. So, but was there any attempt at reconciliation with you after all this happened? Yes, what, yes. What, what, what but happened? it was all not real. It was all fake. Just oh, I feel sorry for you. I'll, I'll do and say the right things. But it was all yeah. Yeah, I'm going to ask a mad question, but it just kind of occurred to me. Do you think that would have happened? If let's say Ryan wasn't a footballer, but you'd been married and he was your brother, hundred percent no. So what? What kind of? What is it about him and his um, life as a footballer and as a well, famous he, person he, that he, led him to do that? Well, he's, he's just become a. a he was a, a, a young, humble, uh, hardworking guy. Who becomes still a hardworking guy, but a cocky, arrogant, thinks he can get away with anything person. Yeah, which obviously he can't. Phoebe Eclair Powell, writer daughter of comedian Jenny Eclair, was a huge highlight of series one for me. She spoke so warmly, but also honestly, about how her mum wasn't always totally present, and in her words, could be a massive toddler. In this clip, she explains how that part of her mum's nature saw her being fired from the ITV show Loose Women. Do you know, I, I feel, okay, so I suppose that like, it, and it wasn't even like fame fame because I think it changed a bit when my mum was on Loose Women that was a different kind of fame and, and suddenly we would was like a, Was she a regular then for a while? She was a regular women. for a while mm -hmm. and then she was very naughty and her and Janet Street Porter uh, drew some offensive um, sort of cocks and balls on like Miley and Class and um, Wait, wait, wait And wait. that opera singer what's her name? Wait, Catherine wait, wait don't, don't try and uh, Catherine Jenkins I'm <laughs> sure you're Jenkins. thinking of don't, don't try and glaze over this So what happened to your mum on Loose Women? Okay, she, they drew so... some phallic symbols <laughs> Yes, I love it phallic symbols So my mum basically I think 
I don't know why she does this. She's been fired from quite a few jobs in her life. I think she was fired from LBC for breaking a window as well. She's like, she's she's naughty. My mum is a massive t- toddler. Like, she is still a five-year-old that just wants to make everyone laugh, but she has a really short attention span. And she was working on those women, and I think her and Janet Street Porter were quite naughty together. And uh, they went round the offices of ITV, and they just thought it'd be hilarious to get a biro out and start drawing all over these, like, official photographs on the walls. Oh, I see. And then, obviously, I think it was the Daily Mail, the Sun got wind of it, and, like, blew it all out of proportion and was like you know anti-feminist drawing dicks on other female celebrities how dare they I think Mylene Class actually said that she found it very funny but Catherine Jenkins was a little bit upset the final best of clip from series one is from the episode where comedian and author David Baddiel interviewed me about my childhood growing up with television presenter Angus Deaton who was my stepfather from when I was about 3 to 13 years old. Here I answered David's question about what it was like when tabloid scandal hit the family and what my relationship was like with Angus after he left. Well, Angus, as we know, I think Angus will be OK with saying that's had a number of, you know, difficult moments with the British press hmm. uh, and his private life. And he's probably more well-known for the scandal that affected him um, later on when he was with hmm. uh, someone else we know called Lisa Mayer. Um when he got sacked from Have I Got News For You, but he had had this previous scandal mm-hmm. involving your mum, so most people maybe don't know that. Yeah, so my mum, uh, Angus left my mum in uh, 1993, about February 1993, and they'd been together for nine years, and they obviously owned this big house together, and over the time that they'd lived in this house, as you kind of alluded to, uh, Angus got a lot more famous and a lot more rich, mm. and so... Uh, during that period of time, he put in a swimming pool and a tennis court into the house. Cool. And, you know, we had some amazing times, incredibly fortunate um, upbringing and, and, you know, having loads of parties and having friends around. Uh, and they had these big, lavish kind of showbiz parties as well. I think Angus very, you know, enjoyed that side of it. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and then in, in 19... 19- and still does. Uh, and I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, I know he does, yeah. Mm. I don't know why I said it like <laughs> that. That's completely bizarre. <laughs> um, me too. I think I, that probably comes from there as well, I would have thought. Um and then in 1993, he left. And I'd say, honestly, I don't remember a thing about it. Right. Um, but I have a lot of evidence of what happened based on, you know, what my mum tells me and also newspaper clippings and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you This know, was a time, sorry, this yeah. was a time when, you know, before the internet, the tabloid press were enormously powerful mm-hmm. and they completely lived on celebrity scandal. Mm-hmm. You know, there's less of it now since Leveson. Uh, I mean, obviously, they still do do it and the whole Harry and Meghan thing, to some extent, is a sort of throwback to that, even though it doesn't involve adultery or anything, but it's all still about the privacy of a famous couple. Um, but every week in the news of the world or whatever, mm-hmm. there would be some footballer, some TV star has had an affair, is leaving their wife, blah, yeah. blah, blah. That's how they sell their newspaper. Yeah, that's how they sell their newspaper. Mm-hmm. So it was part of that, really. Angus was... Yeah. So, well, so what I can say is... And, and you know, I want to stress again... Uh, actually, I've only stressed this about my dad, but I'd say it about Angus as well. Angus and I have never had a serious conversation either. Like, Angus and I get on really, really well. I, um, I know he cares about me a great mm. deal. He's been very excellent to me throughout the time that we've, you know, been back in touch, which is probably nigh on, you know, 15, nearly 20 years now. Um, but we've never had a conversation about my mum. We've never had a conversation about this time, and I doubt we ever will. I, he's just of that generation where he doesn't open up in that way. I have had a number of... Uh, <laughs> when, when things are very bad with Angus, mm. uh, and I probably won't go into this in depth, mm. I had a number of quite heavy conversations with Angus where I felt this is not usual for Angus right. to be vulnerable. Um, but I think one thing which you alluded to there, which is part of that, is 
since you got back in touch. Mm. So there was a point where you were estranged from Angus? Yeah, so uh, they broke up in 1993 and then there was a two-year period of um, court, basically court lawyer stuff oh, right. to do with the house. And it was to do with... It, it was basically to do with... Um, as far as I know and as far as from what I've seen, it was to do with what we talked about before, which is when they met, my mum was uh, a lot more successful. And then when they broke up, Angus was a lot more successful. And actually, my mum, by that point, had got nodules on her throat and wasn't earning any money and only had what she had in the house with which to then bring us us up and live her life after that. So there was two years of that. And then, so when he left, from, from 1993 when he left, my mum, I have to say, was always very consistent in saying to me, you know, you need to keep your relationship with Angus. It's very important. You, But you she know. was angry with Angus. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But but I'm, I'll start with this, which is okay. at no point did she say anything other than, you know, I want you to stay in touch with Angus. I, I want you to, And the reason I know that is because the feeling I really remember from that period is um, a mix of I'm not sure I believe you and I know if I see him or get in touch with him, uh, you'll ask me about that. Right. And I felt incredibly uncomfortable in those things. So it felt easier to not really be in touch with him. And I think um, I think there were maybe two or three occasions where we, we he sent me a birthday present or I went to a football match with him. But it very quickly kind of became an estrangement. Yeah, we didn't well, see each other. A, there's a, surely one other big problem. Uh, and tell me if you want to edit this out, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Wasn't your mum actually talking to the press? Yeah, so, what, so after he left... Uh, and after the, after he left, uh, and like I said, you know, I've only really got one side of the story on this, but basically, um, it became a matter of how much percentage of the house does my mum get and how much does Angus get? And, uh, there was a fight about that basically. And over that period of time, as far as I'm aware, my mum was being offered a lot of... I mean, I know that we had paparazzi, if you want to call it that, outside our house all the time. We had journalists calling us up all the time, um, speaking to my brother if he answered the phone, all of this kind of stuff, and my mum being offered a lot of money by the press to tell her side of the story. And she did. Which she eventually did. Now, her argument, you know... and, And when she did do that, we lost all of our friends and all of our family, all of, all of the people on that side or, or mutual friends of Angus and my mum's, we never spoke to again. Right. So it was, you know, and she was aware really that was going to happen. Not, because, not in a very prurient way, because this is a podcast about fame and about growing mm-hmm. up around fame. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how, because I haven't listened to all the episodes, but one thing about fame is it involves quite a lot of time playing out in public incredibly difficult stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's happened to you. Yeah. You know, you've really been as a child yeah. or teenager at the centre of a public huge thing really yeah. between the two people at the time that yeah, you were, I was you, 10 I was 10 right, I wasn't so, even I wasn't even a teenager which yeah. I think would have I don't well, I but don't that know. thing which would now be called hashtag team Stephanie hashtag team Angus of like yeah. the public deciding you know that this is a battle yeah you're you're sort of obviously you're with your mum but at the mm. same time you're kind of in the middle of that so when you say Angus wanted to take me to mm. football or Angus wanted to do that you know it isn't just, you know, I've stood up with your mum, it's everyone knows. No, but but what I'd say is during that period whilst we were, you know, during the three or four occasions where he would send me a birthday present or I'd go to a football match, that was in the two years since... So there was two years from when he left to when, or a year and a half to when then my mum sold the story, right. which was a three-day story in The Sun. 
right, okay. actually. Yeah. And there were lots and lots of stories in the kind of 18 months before that that were either a friend of or mm. a friend of Angus's says or a friend of Stephanie says she's doing fine now or whatever. But when she actually properly sold her story for a lot of money, uh, that was kind of 18 months on. And then what happened the moment she did that, and I'm not talking this with about this with any pride at all, I talk about this in terms of the way she describes it, which is necessity, financial mm. necessity, because mm. she couldn't afford a lawyer. She wasn't mm. earning any money. Mm. And it was being dug out until a potential court case of if you can, you know, the way she tells it is. Unless I go to court, I'm going to have to accept giving away 50 percent of this house, which is every bit of money I have when actually mm. I put in right. a much bigger chunk. Yeah, I don't think on this podcast that you need to defend your mum's decisions what I'm interested in is how it felt for you mm. to be in that situation did your mum say to you for example when she decided to tell the story okay I'm going to do this we no. need the money it, people might mention it to you at no. school and you know yeah. be prepared I, this, this is where it comes down to a bit of the fact that I think I was a little bit too young and what I blocked out but what I know my, bro my brother who was 13 at the time was really across all of it and hated every part of it and wanted nothing to do with any of it and and it was a real it was real real problems mm. because he hated every bit of publicity that was happening and and uh, he was a lot more affected by it than me or if I was affected by it I don't remember so much what I know is in in hindsight it's a really difficult situation to look back on and see and I I you know we have all of that stuff and I've gone through all of that stuff and it's very very difficult because you know you feel a, a loyalty. I feel a loyalty to my mother, absolutely, and I was present for all of that, and I saw exactly how hard that time was for her. But also, you know, it's like I think if I if I totally judged my dad on some of his behaviour or Angus on what happened around that time to some degree, then I just, you know, it's like I'd never speak to a man again. The first clip from series two, where the podcast opened up to me interviewing people who are famous or have experienced fame about how it has affected their lives and mental health, is from when I asked actor and writer Ralph Little perhaps the most difficult question of all. Are you famous? He goes off into some fascinating areas when answering the question, including how his fame enabled him to be more confident and successful in his personal life, especially when he was younger. Are you famous? Do you think yourself as yourself huh. as famous? That's a good question. Um... I mean, today, yeah, I'm buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> what a day I got, I got you here. Yeah. yeah, today I'm back. Um, it's a very good question. Uh, how do you how do you measure that metric? I, I suppose. So. I mean, I've been jokingly referring to myself as a national treasure for years, but that's, <laughs> that's probably more to cover up my uh, fears that I'm nowhere near. Um, uh, it, I, do people recognise me? Yes. Uh, do people recognise me every day? No. And did that happen? Did that happen at a different point? Do you feel like you're slightly less recognised now than you were previously? Maybe, perhaps? but but sort of only marginally because the people who, the people who liked what I did are still the same people. Yeah. Um, it you become extremely aware of aging when you're in my my game and when okay. you are whether I am or not, we're still debating whether I am or not famous, but you could become very aware of aging. And it's not about going, oh, I hope my looks, you know, don't fade. I mean. I'm privileged not to have to worry about that because uh, <laughs> I've never traded on my looks. Right. <laughs> yeah. I've not got the raw materials to work with. You're a, but, uh, you're a han I mean, you know, you're a handsome man, Ralph, and I'm sure that's. I, I'm sure that's you. Very kind of you. No, to say but so. I, you know, I think I think it's it was easy to say that. I think you're a handsome guy, but do you not feel like you've got roles because of your looks? You're saying you're, it, there's more to it, or 
not not right. that I'd not that I'm saying you have. All right, but... I'll tell you what then. Well, I hope this isn't too much of a digression, but I think this is interesting since since we're talking in depth and you've gone there. It's uh, very lovely of you to say that mm. that I'm a handsome man. It's very embarrassing to have to talk about. But we'll, we'll be we'll be open. Um, that's that's a genuine surprise to hear you say that. Okay. I, I, that is not how I see myself. I never have. And that's I'm, not you saying that because you want to come across as no, 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 or, no, or no, no. I think it's more. I'm trying to just be interesting, and I'm trying to be in, trying to be interesting because I'm <laughs> I want to be interesting. But uh, fuck it, let's be honest. Um, I. You know, when we did two pints, you know, Will Mellor's the hunky, big, muscular one, and I'm the gawky, okay. uh, skinny, pale one. Mm. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever been, I don't think I've ever been thought of as a, uh, certainly not a sex symbol or somebody who's thought of as handsome mm-hmm. or somebody whatever. So when people say that, to, I mean, you know, I don't think anybody thinks, oh, he's that ugly dude for yeah, me. Yeah. But I don't think, I don't think I particularly walk into a room and then people go, oh, he's a good looking lad. Mm-hmm. Never have thought that. Yeah. So whenever people and it makes it sound like they say it a lot but whenever somebody like you says something like that for, for a start thanks like it makes my fucking day good right so, seriously it does good. i'm not um, just sycophantically saying no it no because I, I just think it's an interesting conversation well. because we're talking about like perception and mental but health i also think you know i don't know a lot about your personal life but i mm. i don't think you've ever had any struggles in your personal life in terms of well, meeting no, women no, but you see but you also do have personality to I've back always it up been, I've, oh, I've got a Chica bit of Chapel. chat I got a bit of chat when yeah. it when it comes to chatting to 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 the girls, or I did anyway. I'm too old for that now. Um, yeah, I've always just kind of like had a bit of chat and always yeah. assumed that you know once I can get over the initial hurdle of saying hello because I don't have like I didn't have like the the, the handsome good looks mm. to be able to like just so so babe, suddenly being on TV when yeah. I was like 18 suddenly girls who like who had, would never talk to me suddenly it's like oh yeah that lad off the TV and once once I've got that that yeah. initial step over with then I can kind of use chat so I think that's an interesting point as well to go into about fame which is you know you're talking about a time before you were famous where you know let's say girls weren't coming up to, to you in that way and then suddenly you're on TV and they did how does that work in terms of your own mentality in terms of was there any part of you at that point was like well you only like me because I'm on TV or did you not care it was just like jackpot 100% the latter I mean right. I knew that they only liked me because I was on TV but I don't care. Take I mean, like them because they were gorgeous. Do, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. they, they, it's only their, their their attribute was piercing, beautiful blue eyes with long blonde hair or whatever, and my attribute was the job I did. That's all right. We play to our strengths. Yeah. Play hand you dealt. Um, it's an int- I find that an interesting. But as someone who's never experienced that, I do. Yeah. I I think. I mean, I'm also not 18, so it would have probably been different if I'd experienced that when I was 18. But uh, I've talked in some episodes about. Uh, I was asked by David Baddiel in the episode, would you like to be famous? Do you want to be famous? And I said, the fear for me would be if people are looking at me, looking at me while I walk down the street, why are they looking at me? And they don't know me. You know, it, would, mm-hmm. it gives me a bit of fear. But maybe if it was when I was 18, I would have been young enough where I would be just That's, like embrace that. I, that. I, I could see that, actually. I, um, I'm less, bizarrely less, uh, the more knowledge I've got over the years, the less confident I've become. Right. Um, That's a good point. It's very weird. I, that you know, I don't, I don't walk with the same swagger that I used to. It's not that I'm like lacking confidence, but I'm like, right, I need to, I need to kind of make sure I earn this every day. Whereas, honestly, when I, I wish I could meet me when I was like eighteen, nineteen, I would have been like, mate, just, just calm down. You, I, I honestly, I thought I was the absolute tits, just at everything in every way. Yeah. I thought I was great. There was a room till we walked in. I thought I was going to be the cleverest person in yeah. the room. And did know. that piss people off? Did you? Did, did... Well, I didn't think so. I, th- I think every, I used to think everybody uh, was like, "He's great," but I look back now and I was like, "Did they or did they not think I was kind of a bit much?" Right. Probably. Yeah. Looking back, I would have thought I was a bit much. Yeah. Probably. Uh, 
this is pure guesswork, speculation, but I wouldn't be surprised if people had a bit of like, I think I was probably, I certainly think I was liked by people, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if there was quite a bit of eye rolling. Oh right. God, he's off again. Like, it's like, like arrogance, yeah. eye rolling. Yeah. yeah. And and I and I, I used to kind of run, I mean, you know, I still do, but it, the, the, the weight of it has shifted somewhat. But I used to, particularly even in auditions on like my on-set persona, I'd kind of like have this... Um, uh, faux like arrogance like post postmodern arrogance like I think I'm great at everything and so, I mean I don't really but it's a persona it's a persona it it's a, a persona. Higher, higher status exactly. persona yeah. exactly I was playing a higher status persona but I have a feeling that um, not everyone got it not everyone got it yeah. or that I wasn't doing it as deftly as I thought I was and often kind of just seemed a bit of a dick and is that their fault for not getting it or your fault for not oh, judging it's, it it's my it's my fault it's my fault but again I, you know when we ask him sort of very very big questions here was that because of being famous at 18 undoubtedly that had a part yeah. to play but then again are all 18 year olds kind of a bit like that yes true you, you, who wasn't you find, a, your, you find your way who wasn't a dick when in. they were 19 yeah. years old I think we all were at some yeah. point that's a good extent. point as a huge football fan, it was a real honour to be able to interview ex-England international Sean Wright Phillips. We discussed at length what it was like to follow in the footsteps of his father, Ian Wright, who also played for England and is a legend at Arsenal. In this clip, Sean explained how he would play differently as a kid if his dad was watching, and how he had to learn from that to improve his overall game. I always played, I wouldn't say so much better, but more for the team when my dad wasn't watching. Really? Yeah. When huh. he was watching, I always felt like he's in a, he's a professional. I need to impress. Right. So then I start trying to do everything on my own, which it should have been the opposite. But um, I, he, he spoke to me about that and I learned that. And then times after that, when he did come and watch, I was just more natural with it. That's so fascinating because that seems to me like a natural thing that you would do maybe if there were scouts on the sidelines. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I need to impress. I need to impress to try and get up to the next level on the ladder. But the fact that it's your own dad that you felt, you, you know, you can cut away the fact that he's your dad, and you, but you're thinking, because he is a professional footballer, I need to impress him. That's a really interesting mindset, I think. Yeah, um, that was part of, like, my naivety. I've done it the wrong way around then, and yeah. obviously he's explained it, but it used to be fun because there was things when, we, when me and my brother used to go and stay at his house when he had a game after a game and stuff. Um, he would lock us in the garden to do kick-ups. He said, unless we did like 50 kick-ups, <laughs> we wasn't allowed like back in the house. So me and my brother would be out there <laughs> and you, trying to get these kick-ups done. Do you think that was him genuinely trying to improve your skills or did he just not want you in the house for um, half an hour? <laughs> I think it was obviously he was trying to improve our skills, but he's a practical joker. So to him, that, that would have been funny. And yeah. he would have just been sat there just chilling, watching TV, waiting for us <laughs> to do it. But um, it was cool. And it, it taught us in a way how to manipulate the football. In our next clip, comedian and TV presenter Matt Richardson explains how he got his big break as presenter of The Extra Factor alongside Caroline Flack. It's a story of talent meeting luck with a huge dash of a common theme that's been present when I've interviewed people on the podcast about their big career breaks. That being that when the opportunity to interview for these jobs came along, my guests often didn't think they had a chance, so had a kind of don't-give-a-shit attitude about it that in the end seemed to tend to help them be themselves and get the gig. My agent got an email from ITV going, oh, uh, we'd like to see Matt about a job on The Extra Factor, if you'd like to come in. And I was kind of like, um, uh, yeah, fine. And it turns out the ITV the ITV2 commissioner had been to see Angela and I in Edinburgh and right. had really liked it. And you didn't know. We didn't know. Probably best you didn't know. Probably best. And she hadn't even gone 
because she'd been asked, she kind of just picked a few random shows and we just happened to be wow. one of the shows she picked because we were at a time where there was nothing else yeah. on. And um, <laughs> and then they asked me in and I was kind of thinking, okay, the extra, what they're going to be doing is, it was when Caroline Flack and Ollie Mers were hosting it together. Yeah. And I kind of went, oh, what they'll be doing is adding a comedian like on the Jungle spin-off where they used to have a comedian doing yep. like five minutes of stand-up mm-hmm. every week. So I was like, all right, cool, I'll go in, I'll go in for this meeting, yeah, whatever. And I went in with the executive of X Factor and... Basically, they were like, "So this is to replace Ollie. Ollie's going to be leaving, and mm-hmm. you'll be. Lo- we're looking for someone to fill that spot with Caroline." And was was like, this a meeting or an audition? No. So this was a meeting. So yeah. it started with a meeting, and they basically sat me down and went, "What would you change about the show?" And as soon as they went, "It's to replace Ollie Murs," I'd never done tele. I'd maybe done one of those talking head shows, yeah, 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 but nothing else. Yeah. So I was like, "Well, I'm not going to get this." So I don't really. I'm not like. I had no pressure on it. So I just went. I would change everything. I was like, I don't like the had way. Had you been a had you been a regular viewer of of the show? No, uh, I hadn't. <laughs> but like, I'd seen enough that yeah. I knew what what it was. And like, yeah, and I and also because of Caroline and Ollie, like the whole thing when they were doing it was let's flirt and you know all that kind of stuff. And I went, I hate all that. Let's get rid of that. I wouldn't dare flirt with Caroline. Like, I, it's just not. It's I wouldn't like to do it. Like, yeah. I think it'd be a different relationship. Like, yeah. I don't enjoy that on telly. Mm-hmm. And apparently, after I got the job, they went, "You're the only one that said they wouldn't have flirted with it." Everyone else was like, "Well, obviously, I'll carry on the flirting." Right. All the guys, right? Um, and then they kind of went, okay, do you want to come in for a screen test with Caroline? And I'd worked with Caroline already. Um, we did a pilot together of what would end up being Viral mm-hmm. Tap with uh, Charlie Baker and Ashling B, which yeah. was a really fun pilot. And, um, and so we got in, and because we'd met and we'd, had, we'd been on a, n- a night out together, mm-hmm. we sort of had a bit of chemistry anyway. Yeah. And we basically just, I pissed around in this screen test. Yeah. So it was in front of all of the psycho and ITV lot yeah. and... Um, and the, the thing that apparently got me the job was Caroline kept saying to me and she said this the whole way through the shows we presented together was she always used to make me stand slightly behind her because it made her look smaller so she kind of told me that at the beginning of this um, screen test and I accidentally kind of was stood in front of her and I went oh sorry I'll move back again so you look less fat <laughs> and they record they were filming it and they left that line in my tape and that's the tape they sent to Simon Cow. right and that's oh, wow. the joke he cast me off. Because oh, really? I said that and it made him laugh. Because everyone else had been like flirting with her yeah. and I wasn't afraid to make her look silly. Which is fine because Caroline was very good at being the butt of the joke. Like she really enjoyed that. Yeah. And no one else would do it with her, but I wasn't bothered about it. Yeah, so for the audience, um, or those of you not involved in TV, Psycho is the production company that make um, X Factor with Fremantle and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Simon, it's Simon Cowell's company. That's why it's called Psycho. Obviously named yep. it after himself. And... Um, it interests me that it does go all the way up to him. Like even those yeah. decisions for the spin-off shows. So he and wasn't stuff. even on my series. It was Gary Barlow my year. Yeah. But it's Simon is still very much involved. Yeah. And like when the first shows go out, like I'd never met him while I was on the show, but you'd always get um, an exec coming up going. Simon's really happy with what you're doing. Oh, and like you just occasionally get like a little bit of information about what Simon liked. Right. And which is quite nice. And then yeah. I did meet him after I'd done the show and he was really nice. Yeah. Well, I met him. I say I met him and he was really nice. I was quite drunk at an awards do and I went up to him and asked him for my P45 because <laughs> I wasn't going back. And he thought that was funny and was really lovely and kind yeah. about it. But um but didn't it didn't win it didn't get it, you I didn't back get, on. No, I didn't get the show back. <laughs> um but yeah, it was it kind of went all the way up to the top and then um I kind of did that and I was like, oh, we'll see." But I thought it'd gone well. And Caroline was messaging me going, "It was really good. We really like you. We've not heard anything." And we kind of kept in touch and it was it was really weird because it was because it was Ollie Murs that was leaving, it was in the paper every day. Like, there were odds on who was going to replace him. Wow. So, like, Nick Grimshaw, Greg James, like, all these kind of big people. Yeah. Um, 
and about two weeks, three weeks before it was announced, they called me to be like, you've got the job, um, which was amazing, like really cool. Mm. Um, but they kept running all these things. So I was like, I should go and put a yes, bet you on should. myself. Absolutely. Because, but, but then that's insider that's trading. Insider trading, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you so have I to did, get your mate's mate. Yeah, mate. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I didn't do it. But, um, but yeah, yeah. And it, it kind of, and then it got announced. Yeah. So we're resounding, who the fuck is he? <laughs> In the final clip of this Best Of episode, one of my favourite comedians, colleagues and people, Rhys James, tells us whether he thinks he's in the business for fame or for the success, and gives an interesting insight into whether he thinks other comedians are being totally honest when they're asked the same question. Do you think um, your ambition as a performer is linked in any way to fame? Or do you think you're just interested in success and say, for instance, the financial side of that would bring you the comfort, the safety? It's a really difficult question to answer that because it's hard to separate them at all. Because you can't think of success in this career without thinking of fame, mm. really. I mean, yes, you can be successful without being famous, but there's, that's, there's a ceiling on that. So really the most successful ones are the famous ones. So it's hard to go back. I'd have to go back to before I started and go, what was I actually looking for here? Mm -hmm. And it would be, I think comedians are idealistic. A lot of comedians say when they're not in a podcast format where you're encouraged to be as honest as possible would say, no, I just want to be successful and fame is a byproduct of that. I think that's a little bit bullshit. I think it's a little bit bollocks. Yes, really, I'm, a, I'm about the work. So I wouldn't want to be famous for the sake of being famous. Like I say, I'm not a personality. Violence. I wouldn't want to be an influencer no. who, because then there's no product. So then when it's going, oh, loads of people seem to really like you. There's a million people now who follow you and like you and want something from you. And you go, well, what? What can I give them? I don't have a skill. I'm not saying they're not skilled, but they, I don't have a thing that they know me for that they're expecting now. Thanks again so much for listening to the show, guys. Your support's amazing. And please do tell any friends or family you have who love a podcast all about us. Once again, do add us on Instagram at Almost Famous the Podcast and Twitter at Pod Almost Famous. And like I said at the top, if you have any questions that you'd like read out in series three of the show, please do email them in to almostpodcastfamous at gmail.com. That's almostpodcastfamous at gmail.com. And I'll speak to you again in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks a lot. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.